Today's episode of the Straight Cash Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Vikings ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So last week, my parents were in town helping me move out to the suburbs, and my dad is a big Nebraska fan, uh, so he wanted to go to the Huskers Gophers game, uh, a game that, in hindsight, we probably could have skipped, but uh, that's beside the point. Uh, the week of the game, we used the Game Time app and learned it's uh, best to wait for Gophers tickets until um, just before the game, something that helped us save a lot of money. Plus, we could see a panoramic view from all the seats that we were considering. Uh, and if my dad was able to quickly navigate through the app, suffice to say, I'm quite confident you'll be able to, too. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Graff, coming to you for the first time from my house, thanks to some car troubles this morning that leave me without my usual microphone. So an early apology if the sound quality isn't quite up to par. Thrilled to be joined, though, today by my colleague on the Vikings beat, Arif Hassan, as we tape one day after the Vikings left Detroit with a 42-30 win over the Lions, where Kirk Cousins was rolling, Stefan Diggs hauled in 142 receiving yards, Dalvin Cook uh, eclipsed 100 rushing yards for the fifth time this season. Uh, just a really impressive day all around for the offense. Uh, given, you know, the offensive juggernaut that the Minnesota Vikings are now, Arif, have you started looking up some restaurants for us to eat at in Miami in February? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get to that. I think that it's a pretty important part of our preparation for the offense. <laughs> uh, in seriousness, though, the Vikings are a top five team by many metrics, in part because of the offense, um, given largely, I think, what they've done the last three weeks and, and just because of how good that has been. So on a more serious note, like – are the Vikings a top five team? That's actually kind of hard for me to to take. And, you know, I'm a huge analytics nerd. I love taking a look at the statistics and seeing what it has to say. I think they tend to be largely predictive. Uh, but I, it just it feels off to me to think that this is a top five offense or top. I think it's top seven by opponents adjusted net yards per attempt. Uh, and also, uh, you know, a, a top six defense by opponent adjusting the errors per attempt. And the defense stuff I can believe, obviously. But the offense, I just, it, there's something feels amiss about calling it, you know, a, a top six or seven offense. And, you know, if you've got, if you're top seven in, in both, you know, you're probably a top three team, much less a top five team. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Something's holding me back. Does, does it feel the same way for you? Perhaps. Yeah, I think it might be the purple jerseys and uh, the certain helmets of the Vikings <laughs> that uh, is holding it back for you. Because it, it is, I mean, it really, it was last week that I've, you know, as you're going around and looking at everything, starting to see that this was top five DVOA. This was top five average net yards per attempt, uh, even opponent adjusted, which, you know, I think um, 
when I first saw it, I was like, well, that, you know, that's just benefiting off of playing the Giants or depleted Eagles secondary. I, I really don't know what to make of it, though, because it's not even like, you know, this is a super small sample size. We're a week away from the midway point of the season. And I think it's very conceivable, given who the Vikings are playing on Thursday, that at the halfway point of this season, the Vikings, by a lot of really predictive metrics are going to be with the Kansas City Chiefs, with the New England Patriots as one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and that's the thing that kind of strikes you, right, is that, the, you know, these statistics are opponents adjusted. You know, the the Patriots haven't played a ton of, you know, high quality opponents. But after you kind of adjust for the quality of their opponents, they're still dominating. The same is kind of true of the Vikings. And the thing is, I think, you know, four weeks into the season, we could say, hey, we don't know a ton about this team. You know, they've dominated bad opponents. They've been kind of, they've wilted under pressure against good opponents. And then these last two games, uh, you know, they're against average to, and I would consider Detroit an above average team, um, it, despite, I guess, their losing record. Um, and, and the Vikings have just won. So it's like, it's harder for me to come out and say, hey, you know, against the majority of opponents they'll face this year, you know, they're they're just not a good team. And the thing is, we're not going to really know how they perform against like a really high level team, at least on defense, until week 16 or 17. And obviously, you know, Kansas City's coming up. You know, who knows if that's a high level team without Mahomes? So it's, it's kind of weird. That, that's so amazing to think about just that they're really not going to go up against one of those great defenses, like you mentioned, um, until the end of the season, which is uh, crazy. I also love that sentence, by the way. The Detroit Lions slightly above average, even though they have a losing record. Just uh, got to love that sentence about <laughs> the Lions. Um, let's, let's get into Kirk Cousins, though, because I think a lot of you know the success on offense, of course, stems from Kirk Cousins. A lot of the um, lack of success, really, that they had early in the season also stemmed from Kirk Cousins, which you noted. And now it's just so bizarre that we have a quarterback uh, who – you know, I think was pretty directly responsible for the only two losses of the season and yet has turned things around in such a significant way that the Vikings have, by a lot of very important metrics, one of the best offenses in the NFL. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the change and what what has changed with Cousins, but what are you seeing just with these last three games that he's put together? Yeah, well, I, I think one way to take a look at it is to try and figure out what it would look like if, you know, this was fake. Like, what what is it, what, what are the characteristics right. of an offense that seems to produce a lot, but is not that, you know, high quality or, or that talented? What does that look like? Well, it's probably an offense that benefits a lot from field position. It's probably an offense that benefits a lot from defensive turnovers. It's probably an offense where, you know, when they do kind of turn over the ball, you know, opponents don't tend to pounce on it like fumbles. You know, they don't tend to recover fumbles and stuff like that. Um, or opponents don't tend to recover fumbles and stuff like that. It's probably an offense that gets boosted or goosed by, uh, you know, field goal numbers from pretty far away. Um, all of these things that you would say, well, that's probably a sign of an offense that's more of a paper tiger. And you, and you go through it one by one, and aside from field position, that's not really the case for the Vikings. And not only that, they're the league leader in explosive plays. Uh, and so it's very clear that they're creating a ton of their own yards. We know that they don't tend to have fumble luck. I mean, last year and this year, they recover fewer fumbles in games than their opponents do. Um, and uh, it's not as if the interceptable passes that, that Cousins is throwing uh, aren't being caught by defenses. And in fact, non-interceptable passes are being intercepted uh, by defenses, you know, like the one that bounced off of Diggs's hands. So 
it has all the hallmarks of a genuinely good offense. And then you take a look at, you know, well, how has the offense performed, you know, relative to other teams that have played the same defenses? And it's outperformed those teams. So there's not really a case to be made that there's something amiss here. Uh, So the ultimate conclusion, as tentative as as I kind of want to make it, is that the offense is pretty good and that Kirk Cousins is the center (laughs) of this high-level offense. You know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the schematic help that he gets. Obviously, you know, the Vikings now lead the league in play action percentage after kind of dipping below that as a result of being behind in Green Bay and Chicago. Um, That helps his numbers a lot. But even from a a clean pocket on standard dropbacks, you know, he's done really well. Uh, So, you know, he's had pretty good accuracy. I think it's very easy to remember deep misses. But he's better deep than most quarterbacks are. You know, I think if you miss by a lot, it's more memorable than if you miss by a little bit. Uh, but that it, it counts the same. And so the fact that, you know, he's had these deep shots, they've largely worked out. The fact that he's got two extraordinarily explosive receivers, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, the Adam Thielen's not going to be injured for too long. Um, you know, it, it's... There's a lot of evidence to say it's very good. Obviously, the running game is there. Uh, The offense was able to produce with Adam Thielen not able to play for most of the game. Uh, They've got a ton of options available to them. Cousins has the ability to get rid of the ball on time to where he needs to go. It's explosive and efficient at the same time, and that's uh, pretty much the hallmark of a good offense. It's so strange to even hear all this because this is like one of the rare examples where I think if you watch the Vikings offense for the last three weeks, the eye test tells you, yeah, this is a good team with a good scheme with good wide receivers and a good running back and a good quarterback. Um, and then you you list out everything that you just mentioned, like even hearing that the Vikings have one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL is just something that my brain right now cannot comprehend, especially You know, I I know that this point has been sort of belabored a little bit, but when you go back to where we were sitting at Soldier Field, uh, looking down at a dark field after week four and wondering what the heck the Vikings were ever going to do on offense and and how this was going to get corrected, and then Stefan Diggs, as a result of that, um, contrary to what he may have said, just chose to skip work because of it. Like, things were going so poorly that the star wide receiver was just like, nah, I'm out of here. Um, and then to consider, you know, everything that you just mentioned with where they rank in a lot of important statistics and even just watching them um, put together drives like that 97-yard 15-play drive against the Lions on Sunday. Uh, I don't know why. Perhaps I've spent too much time in Minnesota um, because everything tells you to buy in on this offense being very, very good right now. Um, and yet I think there's a little apprehension both you know, from both of us, but I think even fans a little bit too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think the only area where you could say they're probably going to regress, um, well, aside from the fact that some of the numbers just are unsustainable, Stephon Diggs, for example, uh, has 3.5 yards per route run, uh, you know, according to PFF. <laughs> I think the record uh, going all the way back to 2006 is like 3.1. So it's unlikely he'll set the record in that fairly obscure statistic. Um, so that'll probably go down. But the only other area that I can take a look is probably red zone percentage, you know, where they lead the league, which is such a, a crazy thing to say after kind of all the discussions that we had last year <laughs> about Cousins in the red zone and just in general, the Vikings in the red zone. It seems like they've been disappointing. Uh, they lead the league in touchdown conversion rate in the red zone once they, once they cross the 20. So 
That's probably, you know, that's a fairly unstable statistic. That's probably going to go down. I wouldn't be surprised if they go down from 70% to 60%. But the thing is, that statistic is not crazy important. What's more important is how often you get to the red zone. And the Vikings are getting there fairly often. They're fourth in points per drive. Uh, that, that, I mean, that's stunning to me. And that's like maybe my favorite kind of non-opponent adjusted offensive statistic. Uh, and so... Yeah, I mean, they're up there with the Kansas City Chiefs, who are second, the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson, who are first. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson with the Houston Texans, they're fifth. Like, they're beating the Green Bay Packers. Well, they're beating everybody in the NFC North in in offensive statistics and most defensive statistics. Uh, it's incredible. But, you know, at some point, and maybe it doesn't have to be this week, right? But at some point, you know, if this sustains itself for two, three more weeks, you know, maybe we can throw away the Thursday night game. Maybe we can say, hey, you know, they've got a fluke two games against average defenses plus benefited from some bad defenses. We can make a ton of excuses. Maybe they're right. A couple of weeks from now, if this, you know, sustains itself, I mean, there's no excuses we can make. Uh, it's kind of like the dilemma facing Washington in 2015. Kirk Cousins, I think, was something like fourth in passer rating, uh, and he was top five in most quarterback statistics. Uh, and, you know, Washington didn't want to give him a deal. And it turns out they were potentially right, you know. Uh, 2016, 2017 didn't bear out. Um, the offense just kind of dipped um, every year. And it seems like, you know, a lot of that had to do with scheme as, as kind of his coordinators got hired away. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's the case, but also who cares? Like, okay, so it's scheme. Well, it's not like they're going to lose Kevin Stefanski three quarters of the way through this. You'll be there in the playoffs. So, you know, whatever the reason, it seems like this is a fairly genuine off- offensive improvement. And they're playing better than the defense. Right. That that maybe is the most crazy part of all of this. Like, I, I think even the most optimistic uh, Vikings fans about the offense who said, you know, Stefanski's going to do all this play action. He's going to get Cousins rolling out. He's going to do everything that, you know, plays into what Kirk Cousins does well, plus bring out the best in Dalvin Cook and the receivers. I think even that mythical person uh, would never have imagined the offense so far outpacing the defense. And we'll get into the defense and specifically one player on the defense whom everybody seems to have uh, plenty of questions about right now. But you bring up Washington, and I think this is probably the game with the most storylines for the Vikings. Um, a little bit unfortunate for us then when you consider that all these storylines come in. It's a Thursday game, uh, so we don't get a full week of fleshing them out. But Adrian Peterson returning, Case Keenum returning, uh, Kirk Cousins going up against the franchise that effectively gave up on him for the first time. It, it is rather remarkable that, you know, I think there's a case to be made that this three-game stretch is Kirk Cousins' best three-game stretch of his career, certainly since 2015, maybe ever. And now he gets to, you know, enter with all of that going against Washington now. I think it sets up rather remarkably. And I think, you know, would lead me anyway to believe that this will continue for a fourth straight game. Is there reason to you know, in your eyes, believe that this continues for Cousins? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, you also forgot the Josh Doxson storyline. <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget about that one? <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I, you know, kind of regardless of what happens on Thursday night, whether or not he kind of craters or explodes or whatever, um, which I guess both sound like they mean the same thing, but are opposite. 
um, I, I'm not going to put too much stock into a Thursday night game, kind of regardless of what the result is, uh, just because it's a Thursday night game. You got you know a short week to prepare. Very often, it feels like teams don't play within themselves. Uh, it seems like coaching matters more than talent, which is kind of why I'm I'm pretty confident the Vikings will win, kind of regardless of how they do it. Um, but yeah, I mean. I think I like that subtle line right there. By the way, <laughs> that was good. Um, but and I, one I can appreciate as a Nebraska fan uh, after the Callahan years. <laughs> hey, I mean I'm they're going to establish the run. You know going, that. I'm here for it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but but uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you know we're, we're probably going to see an offense go off. I think the Washington defense is relatively speaking, underrated, which is not the same thing as saying that they're good. Uh, but, you know, I feel like people are overlooking them a little bit too much. It's kind of on offense where they've struggled a lot more. Um, so, and, you know, the benefit of facing Miami, you know, maybe that gives them confidence or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, this is another opportunity for the offense to go up. I don't see a matchup where, you know, the Vikings are kind of behind. You know, I think that the, you know, Dalvin Cook is better than those linebackers and, and, and you know, that defensive line, which should be playing better than it is. I think that, you know, Diggs is better than any cornerback that can throw at him. I think that, you know, Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph, you know, I think are probably better than the coverage defenders that will be assigned to them. Uh, if Josh Norman was kind of still – you know, who he was in Carolina, then yeah, I, w- I would be maybe a little bit more interested in that in that Diggs matchup. But, you know, for the most part, it, it just feels kind of like it's going to be a slam dunk in every potential uh, version of that matchup. Yeah. And it's crazy too, to think about, you know, after week four, I think this game against Washington looked like one, uh, you know, that could really have been if things had gone where it seemed like they could have gone, where Diggs skipped the practices, had they lost to the Giants, lost to the Eagles, things started to look like they were imploding, Diggs was not happy, they were going to be facing Case Keenum against Washington with Kirk Cousins with all of these questions about did the Vikings make the wrong choice uh, two years ago when they had to pick a quarterback between Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, Kirk Cousins, slash, you know, whomever they would want to draft. Um And now I think, you know, Kirk Cousins is probably thinking, uh, Kevin Stefanski and whomever else, that uh, this three-game stretch has led into this game. But you do mention Stevon Diggs and and the ridiculous yards per route run that pace that he's on right now. With Adam Thielen potentially out, and, you know, we'll know more on that when the Vikings have their one and only practice of the week on Tuesday. But while Thielen says he's optimistic to play through the hamstring injury, you know, I, I would be a little pessimistic about that. And I think my early prediction would be that he doesn't play. Uh, if he does not play, the Vikings have, you know, essentially three healthy wide receivers behind him, one of them being Laquan Treadwell, um, the other being BC Johnson. What, like, is there any reason that the Redskins would not double team Stefan Diggs um, every single play? Like, how, how would they approach this? What, what would you do if you were going up a team that had Stefan Diggs and essentially a lot of unproven talent behind that? How, how do you think they'll go about um, dealing with Diggs? Yeah, I, I feel like if I'm Washington and I'm attempting to win, which I think is an important caveat, <laughs> if Washington does want to win, uh, then there's not, you have to, right? Because, so think about this. So, uh, you know, Adam Thielen is out for essentially most of the game. He scores a touchdown and then he, then he's out. 
uh, Diggs ends the game with 4.9 yards per run, which, I mean, obviously that sounds crazy. <laughs> uh, that's That leads all receivers in, in week seven. Um, but you know, it's, you know, single game performances tend to have pretty extreme yards per route run, but you know, it's, he produced like he was extraordinary, right? Like we know he 142 yards on eight targets, seven receptions, uh, and the eighth reception went through his hands. It could have been another touchdown. So, um, I don't see how you couldn't, but schematically, you know, Washington's not really set up to do that. Uh, I would kind of throw that out if I were them. But I would just be like, it kind of doesn't matter. We'll treat him like Randy Moss. I don't care. Um, but uh, if BC I, Johnson I, beats us, so be it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I mean, he's looked really good. But, right. you know, make him earn it, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I just, uh, I, I don't see what. Treadwell is the number three. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, exactly. and the craziest part, I don't know who number four is. Davion Davis? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I uh I mean it's I mean honestly number 3 is actually Herb Smith and number 4 is right right <laughs> uh Laquan Treadwell. But yeah, I just at some point you're just going to throw Mike Boone out there at receiver. He played it at Cincinnati for a little <laughs> yes, bit, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, um, he was recruited so, as a receiver. So, you know, I, <laughs> if if I if I'm Washington, that's absolutely what I do. I I I think the only argument against it is like it's a quote it's not what we do. But even Seattle who are like committed to these cover three principles as a schematic philosophy and don't change their philosophy that much just decided that they were going to double both of them um so there's only so much and that it worked like, out well for them yeah right yeah uh although dick still claims he was open the times he was triple teamed uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was great too i was watching uh one of the plays where i think cousins rolls left and Diggs is kind of open on the right and just clapping his hands, trying to get his attention. I did see that you picked up on it and tweeted as well, which just, I think, perfectly encapsulated Stefan Diggs. Like, always will forever <laughs> think that he's open, and it doesn't matter if the quarterback is rolling the opposite direction and would have to, like, I don't know, perform some sort of ridiculous 180 jump throw the other way. He wants that throw to happen and for the ball to come to him. Which, <laughs> he's I mean, hey, you, you probably want that as a wide receiver, but he's like the extreme version of that too. Yeah, I just love the idea that he was like, look, just throw it my way. I'll make it work. And it's like, well, that's like a cross his body going the wrong direction. Like, there's one quarterback like in the league I can think of. you might be right. But, yeah, you're not, <laughs> yeah. you don't have Mahomes as quarterback. Right. Like, even when Lamar uh, Jackson did it, it was like a bad decision that he got right. saved from. So, <laughs> Let alone Kirk uh, Cousins doing it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, even, even, even Seattle, like, the most committed to their defensive principles of any team in the league – you know, they decided they were going to double-team both of them and even triple-team them sometimes. Like, I, I don't see any reason why, like, what is essentially an ideological commitment to one's defensive <laughs> scheme would prevent one Which from, like... Which has worked out so well for them so far. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, like, you know, you sh- yeah, treat them like Randy... Treat them like a, a, a punt gunner. Like, just double them. <laughs> just have two guys there. Treat them like a punt gunner. That would... I, I kind of want to see it happen now just for the image of of two cornerbacks like right in front of him playing press coverage to it'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The offense, I do think one of the notable quotes from Kirk Cousins yesterday on a day that frankly, uh, there were not very many. I think he knows he's got Washington this week and he's uh, purposefully saying very little right now. So it was not a super interesting Kirk Cousins press conference in my opinion after the game, but 
One of the interesting things, one of the few ones that I do think he said was uh, just how often he would be outside the huddle awaiting the play call. The play call would come in from Kevin Stefanski uh, and Kirk Cousins was at the time as the play call came in thinking, yes, I'm in agreement. This is the perfect call for this. Something that um, did not exist you know, as recently, even as four weeks ago, and perhaps you could make the argument that it's not Kirk Cousins' job to necessarily, you know, be in agreement or not agreement with the play caller. But I do think that Kevin Stefanski really has um, done a remarkable job the last three weeks in getting this offense going. I'm not sure if he is getting all of the credit that he deserves. He, he really has become um, the offensive mind that I think a lot of people were really interested in seeing at the beginning of the season. What do you make of just what he's been able to do so far, especially these last three weeks? Yeah, well, I, I think that that's really important to to point out, uh, not just because he, he's not getting enough credit, but, it, you know, it seems like one of the things that impacts Kirk Cousins' play is the quality of his play callers and the fact that Stefanski seems to be calling plays that, you know, gets these players open and allows Crook to throw downfield and, and plays where the progression allows him to be explosive instead of going, you know, reading short to deep, uh, stuff like that, which, uh, by the way, is, is a Callahan special. <laughs> um, uh, but <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're bringing back so many flashbacks that I've tried to bury in my mind, including like giving up 60 points to Kansas. And oh boy, this is gonna be a, a long, short week. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's designing these plays that gets these players open, he's designing these progressions in ways that enable the offense to be explosive and, um, what I believe is his 10th week of play calling, seventh week of play designing, I guess. Um, yeah, that's crazy to think about, especially a guy who almost got the Cleveland Browns job. Perhaps you could argue should have got the Cleveland Browns job uh, doing what he's doing with Kirk Cousins. And this is his 10th time doing it. His 10th game is their well, And I think that that's kind of what's important is to, is to say, hey, the growth in the offense might have a lot to do with this guy who now has more than five games under his belt kind of figuring it out. <laughs> um, you know, he's obviously he's been on offensive staffs for a long time, but it's just a markedly different experience kind of being the one to call in the plays and make all the decisions and kind of determine kind of what works based on the feel of the game, based on your conversations with the quarterback before the game, based on kind of the defenses that you, you're seeing. Um, and I think that that uh, is, is a big part of kind of why this offense has exploded the way it has. And, you know, I, I think the fact that, that Cousins is comfortable with these play calls, I think, is pretty meaningful. Like, I, I, I do think it's the quarterback's job to say, hey, this play's not going to work or, hey, this play's going to work, uh, because they're your, literally they're your eyes on the field. Uh, and so uh, if he feels like he cannot execute the play, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone would be happy if he was wrong, but it's unlikely that he is. So, <laughs> you know, the fact that uh, everything is in sync and it, it seems like the conversations that they're having kind of in the week beforehand leading up to the game or being translated into plays on the field, you know, that's great. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe Stefanski's kind of doing a better job of of, of you know, being more or less sensitive to kind of what's happening directly on the field, kind of adjusting kind of the pregame game plan versus kind of what, what the team is reacting to and stuff like that. Like, I have to imagine that's a really difficult adjustment as a play caller to kind of determine how much input, you know, you should take in from your pre-week, uh, you know, preparation and how much input you should take in from kind of what you're seeing on the field, whether or not they've changed coverages completely, you know, from what you've seen before. Uh, and it, it really seems like whatever that balance is, 
you know, he's done a really good job kind of navigating it and kind of determining, well, this play is going to be here, this play is going to work, um, or, you know, this play has adjustments built into it that'll take into account kind of the three most likely things that I think I'm going to see on the defense. So uh, really, I think, uh, commendable stuff from, from the offensive coordinator. And hey, you know, the Vikings, you know, might be playing so well, they'll lose another offensive coordinator. Uh, and and <laughs> wait, that would be a 50% rate of losing them for good reasons. I, hey, you're right about that. I guess I didn't think about that part. Uh, 25% for firing and 25% for mysterious causes. Um, <laughs> but I do think that your point about um, the quarterback being in agreement with the play caller it is an important one that perhaps is sometimes overlooked. Even last week, while you know, I think um, I was working ahead on a story that will be posted on The Athletic on Wednesday about Adrian Peterson as he comes back to Minnesota and, and a, a look at you know, his single game uh, record that he set in 2007. So I was talking to Tavares Jackson for that story. And Tavares Jackson, of course, got hurt in that game um, just before the first half. And we were talking about that play and how it happened and, you know, really in some ways set up Adrian's record-breaking day where the Vikings said, we're just going to run the ball now. Um, and Tavares was saying the night before the game, Daryl Bevel, Bevel was the offensive coordinator and Bevel came up to Tavares and said, hey, you know, are there any plays uh, that we've run on this sheet in this game plan that you just don't like? And Tavares said, yeah, there's only one. This play, please do not call this play. And he could kind of see Bevel squirms around a little bit. He's like, oh, Childress loves that play. <laughs> and so Tavares like, oh, great. So Bevel at the time is thinking, man, my quarterback hates this play. My head coach loves this play. So he ends up calling the play. And Tavares says, I hated the play so much, I knew I was just going to tuck it and run. So he starts tucking and running. And, of course, that was the play that, um, in his own words, he was knocked out cold on. Uh, so just kind of uh, an anecdote Incredible. to highlight uh, the importance of the quarterback being on the same page um, as the offensive coordinator. Something I just thought of as you you mentioned that. Um, so something I thought I would highlight and uh, make sure to check out that story on Wednesday in The Athletic, along with everything that we else that we have leading to the Washington game. If you're not yet a subscriber, you can do so over 40% off at theathletic.com slash straight cash. Arif, I have a simple question for you that I'm not sure yields a simple answer. Why do teams keep biting on play action against the Vikings? Kirk Cousins is tearing it up on play action. Kevin Stefanski is calling it all the time. They're going to run play action, and yet every team seems so fooled by it. Yeah, well, so we've asked players this, and they've just been like, well, you know, otherwise they're going to run all over you. And it's like, well, yeah, but they'll get like five yards, right? Like that seems... (laughs) Right. It seems better. You can give up 50 or five. <laughs> right? and so, you know, do you want the receiver to be behind you or the running back in front of you? Like, I just feel like this is fairly <laughs> simple. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons at play. I think, one, uh, we saw what happened with Green Bay. And you know, Green Bay won, obviously, so it clearly didn't hurt them too much. When they stopped biting on play action um, or stopped biting, yeah, stopped biting on play action and started playing it as if it was a pass, they gave up 7.7 yards a carry to Delvin Cook which is essentially throwing the ball, right? And so um, <laughs> with a lower interception rate, I guess, <laughs> as it were. Um, so it could be that, like, it's genuinely true that if you don't bite on play action, you're actually hurting yourself just as much, but in a way that I guess is personally kind of more embarrassing. Um, but <laughs> second, you know, 
th- think about how, what you have to go through to be in the NFL. You have to play peewee football. You have to play, uh, you know, high school football, college football, and and and, and through most of your football life. The run unaccountably matters. It just definitely does. Right. Uh, and it matters more than passing, honestly, uh, for most of your life, too. And yep. so if you're uh, biting on play action, you're probably making the right decision because, you know, the, this guy who might get a D3 offer where he has to pay his own way, uh, you know, he's probably not going to throw it for eight yards an yes. attempt. But that dude, that D1 running back, uh, is running for eight yards an attempt. So, you know, make your decision. And so that's kind of most of your football life. Yeah. And then you get into the NFL and you're kind of asked to change it because these quarterbacks are such such rare commodities. Uh, that, and they're all concentrated in the NFL and they're throwing for, you know, 11 yards an attempt on play action. And now you kind of have to change everything you were taught. So that's difficult. Um, but I think the other part... That's amazing. Right? Like, so, like... You know, Just incredible that, like, one of the most effective NFL philosophies... Uh, is so effective in part because it takes advantage of the way that linebackers are taught from the time they're six years old. Right. Yeah. And and like the uh, even when you read scouting reports on linebackers, you know the the first thing that that they'll talk about is kind of what the first step does. The first step is almost always supposed to be forward. If you're if you're stepping backwards, that means you're afraid of contact. Like right. it's it's part of the evaluation. <laughs> uh, and so. Uh, I, I, that's got to be part of the reason. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, part of it's just uh, if you're really effective at selling it, I mean, it looks like a run, right? Like a, if a guard is pulling, like who who would pull a guard right. to <laughs> drop back to pass? That's insane. <laughs> You'd be giving up your protection. Oh, oh, no. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a combination of the fact that if you legitimately aren't defending the run, they'll run over you. Uh, 7.7 yards per attempt and a combination of like the the DNA of, right. of becoming a football player. Just you're fighting it at every moment. Yeah, I love that latter reason. Uh, I got two more things for you because this has been a mostly positive podcast. While we haven't discussed yet um, the parade route from St. Paul to Minneapolis and U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, pretty positive so far about uh, a pretty positive team. But I have two other things I want to get to. Um, Before we do that, though, the Vikings, of course, hosting Washington on Thursday night. There's a great podcast that we have uh, here on the Athletic app called Hail to the Podcast. D'Angelo Hall, um, former great player, is on it along with Aaron Hawksworth. Uh, They do a great job of breaking down everything that you'll want to know leading into Thursday's game. All right, Arif, two areas of concern. One, you know, a season-long one and and the other, you know, I, I suppose you could perhaps even say a, a season-long one as well. Let's start with the offensive line. Are they markedly better these last three weeks? Is Kirk Cousins is markedly better? Or um, is the offensive line about the same and the schemes are improving and Kirk Cousins is improving? What do you make of just where the offensive line is at right now? I, I mean, I would be – it's kind of like with the offense, right? I'm kind of hesitant to say, <laughs> yeah, problem solved. Um, so – uh, I don't. I guess I honestly, I just don't know. Um, we we've seen some really good play from Garrett Bradbury the past three weeks. That's really important because he's been struggling, and you know, as a rookie, he's got a lot more latitude, I guess, to struggle because you can say, "Hey, he's going to bounce back," and there's a really good likelihood that he will. Uh, versus someone like Pat Elfline, who has just basically struggled for the past three years, and as he continues to struggle, it it becomes more clear that, that that's just going to be the case. Um, the thing is, I think the interior of that line played all right. I think a lot of people say it played really, really well. Um, 
I don't think that's the case, but I also, you know, all, all right is a huge upgrade anyway. So, you know, <laughs> it's worth celebrating. Um, have they played, you know, kind of a high-level defensive line? Well, in some respects, you know, obviously against the Eagles, they played really high-level defensive line for the most part. And, you know, against the Giants, they played against, you know, a really good run-stuffing line. Against the Lions, they played against a line that in theory should be really good at run-stuffing based off of the talent that they have there. Um, but also, like, the Lions are kind of like one of the lowest teams in sack rate and pressure rate across the league. Um, so, you know, maybe the Lions game isn't the best example, but the Eagles game is a pretty good one. And so there's, I think, a lot there to say, hey, the, the offensive line is genuinely improving. And even if you've got poor opponents that you're up against in terms of matchups, if it happens four weeks in a row, uh, you know, one of the hardest things about being an offensive lineman is consistency. Um, so if you're consistent, that's basically the job. So you're doing a pretty good job. So yeah, I, I would I would say that the indications are there that it's a good offensive line. It's just so difficult for me to finally say, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'm not worried. <laughs> um, pad offline is a concern, but if if that's if you've only got one concern, uh, you're in a good spot. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, again, like I said, has played a lot better, and, and Josh Klein returning the lineup has been huge. He didn't have a remarkable game, but I expect him to continue to play at a really high level like he has for most of the year. Yep. That brings us to the only other area I think of of a decent amount of concern amongst fans, which is the secondary um, after the way that the Lions played. Stafford had 364 yards on 45 attempts, four touchdowns. Marvin Jones had four touchdowns all on his own. Uh, two, I think, of them against Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes was uh, the player that I think fans picked out the most as having struggled. But I do want to Get your thoughts. You wrote about it a little bit uh, on The Athletic last week. Where is Xavier Rhodes at? Where are the Vikings at with their cornerback situation? And what is your concern level um, with the way that the secondary played on Sunday? Rhodes is really curious because if he's playing so poorly, why aren't quarterbacks targeting him? Right. And I'm not like trying to be facetious. Like It's just not happening. Like Quarterbacks are just like, nope. <laughs> right. So uh, if he's playing that poorly, you know, quarterbacks only seem to be targeting his side in the red zone, which obviously that's a problem that, that seems to matter the most. Um, but, but very occasionally, like he, the most targets I think he's had in a game this year is five. Uh, and now that the Vikings have stopped shadowing. Wow. I didn't even realize right? that. Yeah, I mean, and, and Rhodes had like, uh, or and Wayne's had like 11 two weeks ago. Um, so, th- I mean, that's remarkable to me. Um the fact that, you know, road stop shadowing means that, you know, teams can kind of pick their poison, choose their matchup, and they're overwhelmingly choosing Trey Wayans as their matchup. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, maybe a couple of offensive coordinators can be wrong, but I don't know if all of them can be. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of these teams don't care that much about player reputation when they're kind of designing how they want these offenses. They care a lot more about kind of the, the specific trait-based weaknesses they can exploit on film. Which is why, you know, cornerback like Josh Norman this coming week, you know, he got targeted a lot. You know, as soon as he started diminishing in in talent, you know, teams started attacking him. So it's not as if, you know, they're they're scared of a of a cornerback that only existed in 2017. They they clearly see something on film that they just kind of refuse to to test. And so, Rhodes is giving up a bunch of high value plays but only high-value plays. Right? He was targeted twice for five total yards for two touchdowns. <laughs> um, 
and you know, which is like huge. You know, he has to fix it. Um, but you know, he he was targeted. You know, the previous week, you know, five times for three receptions, but one of them or against the Giants, but one of them was, you know, the thirty-five yarder to Darius Slayton for a touchdown, and so. You know, Rhodes it must be playing well on most snaps, but when he's not playing well, is playing really, really poorly. And at the end of the day, that's probably net better than the average cornerback because, you know, the average cornerback is going to get targeted a lot more when teams can kind of pick who they want to target against you. Uh, and if Wings is playing really well, I just teams seem to love targeting him. I mean, he gave up uh, 70 plus yards against Chicago, 70 plus yards, uh, I think against the Eagles, I want to say, um, he benefited from a drop, uh, that would have, uh, you know, given up 70 yards against the Giants. Um, you know, he got targeted a bunch kind of in this game, uh, not as much, but you know, Marvin Jones got one on him too. Uh, what's interesting is that the thing that he's good at tackling was the thing he was kind of the worst at, uh, and the thing that he's the worst at kind of keeping his, his head kind of aware of where the ball is and turning it around in time, you know, he got a pick. So uh, it, it was a very kind of odd game. But, yeah, Rhodes is just a conundrum because teams just are not interested in attacking him. Uh, and there has to be a reason for it. Uh, but, you know, when we do see teams attacking him, it, it's successful. So he's probably playing at a pretty high level, um, not like an elite level or anything like that, and just happens to make a couple of mistakes here and there. And it's kind of, again, like an offensive lineman where, you know, people pay more attention to the mistakes than the successes. Right. That is uh, super interesting that teams aren't targeting him. For more uh, info and analysis from him, you can follow Arif on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. And of course, read all of our Vikings coverage uh, at the Athletic app. That'll do it for another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.